0: You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast, sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Hey, hey, it's Jess O'Reilly here, your friendly neighborhood sexologist. I am without the love of my life, my partner in crime, Mr. Brandon Ware today, because I am down in, I had to think about that, Austin, Texas for a clinical training so yesterday i hosted a training session on how lenses and lessons from consensual non-monogamy research can be applied to all relationships including monogamous relationships and one of the folks who was a part of this clinical audience mostly therapists and counselors and educators in the field who I really don't have anything to teach, but she was there for her CEU credits, is Dr. Ava Cadell, an asex certified sex counselor, the author of eleven books, and the founder of Loveology University. And that's loveuniv.com. And Eva, I've admired your work long before. I think I'd even heard the word sexology. So it's pretty humbling to have you, you know, in a training, but also to just sit and chat with you and we have a similar story. So thanks for being here.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: Now, you have been doing this a while.
1: <laughs> I would say so, <laughs> uh, over 25 years.
0: And how did you get your start?
1: Well, my start came from adversity because I was born in Hungary during a revolution smuggled to an orphanage in Austria, raised by strict nuns who made me believe that sex was evil and my body was so dirty that it would be a mortal sin if I touched myself. And so I grew up a very confused teenager, had horrible relationships, and when I hit rock bottom, I decided I need to find out everything I could about love, relationships, and sex.
0: And so where, where did you start? How old were
1: you? Well, I started in London, uh, where I became a nude model. Okay. Yes. I've seen some of your I've old
0: photos. <laughs> I mean, you're beautiful now, and you're really beautiful in, the, in these well, images. Well,
1: but I did that out of, you know, rebellion, really. I say I'm a fallen Catholic. <laughs> However, I do consider myself quite spiritual, and I believe in karma. But I don't like religion that uses guilt to control people because I believe that love and sex are the most precious gift we can give to somebody who's worthy of it.
0: Exactly, and so, so nude model, is that, were you in a window, <laughs> were you more just no, I was
1: Well, no, I was, uh, I was a nude model for The Sun, The Daily Mirror, they had a page three girl if you've ever heard of that. I also posed in a lot of men's magazines when I was very young. And it was the only way I could make an income to take care of myself because I didn't have any parents. And so how did you transition
0: from modeling? And I think you were pretty famous from what I saw. How did you transition from
1: that? From sex symbol. So I say I went from sexual abuse. I was very much abused as a child and raped and tortured. And then I became a sex symbol in London um, and then I came to America and I wanted to become a sex expert because I got a lot of fan mail and you know you have a you had a show on Playboy so did I and people think that if you're attractive and sexy that you're automatically a sex expert. So I would get all these fan letters asking for my advice and I thought, you know, I'm shooting from the hip here and I want to give people advice. And so I still had not found a healthy relationship and I became a sexologist for myself. I wanted to overcome all the guilt and shame that I had been raised with and, uh, and I wanted to find a really healthy love relationship for myself. And you did. I did. I did. I spent 25 years with my soulmate. And uh, he passed away, unfortunately. And even if I don't find another soulmate, I'm okay with that. But I have a feeling I will. I have a feeling you will, too. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, um, I went through some really scary things that could have turned me into a man-hater or a a, a sex-hater. But it didn't. It actually made me... A good sex counselor
0: and so that would have involved a process of healing
1: hmm so w- can
0: you describe what your personal process of healing from the sexual abuse from a sexually repressive upbringing what did your process look like and I know you have some resources for others but I'm interested in your story first
1: well it begins with self-love I I hated myself I thought I was unworthy, which is why people punished me, and I didn't feel attractive at all when I was at my height of my you know youth, uh, I thought I was ugly, and even when I was a model, I just thought, well, I have big boobs, that's all you know? <laughs> I, they just want me because I have big boobs and I was always taunted in school. they called me rubber lips and giraffe neck and matchstick legs, so I never felt pretty at all. <laughs> so, my healing began, as I said, I hit rock bottom. And I think a lot of people need to do that before they're ready to pick themselves up and say, okay, I'm going to learn how to love myself. And nobody teaches you that. Um, so, I teach people that in my healing courses. And I do retreats for women, healing retreats for women. And I have you know, lots and lots of exercises. One exercise I have is to draw an outline of your body and then to color in red the parts of your body that you hate. Mm -hmm. And then when I do a retreat, I get the women to come up and explain why they hate that part of their body. So, you know, a common part is their stomach, for example. And then I say, well, let's think about all the good things that you get, what are the benefits of having a stomach? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got the nourishment. Uh, a lot of these women are, are mothers. We talk about them giving birth. We talk about how the miracle of life and, and your organs, and if you look for something good, you'll always find it. Mm-hmm. So if there's anything you hate about yourself, my recommendation is to look at it in the mirror and think of all the benefits. And what you would do if you didn't have that part of your body. <laughs> I mean. That sounds like gratitude It to me. is. It because is. there are
0: people who can't ingest food the way we ingest right. food. Who it's, can't digest food right. the way we digest food. So we can sit here and hate our stomach or we can sit here and complain that we're bloated. Or we can be thankful that, you know, we go to the washroom at will.
1: Right? exactly yeah we,
0: we swell because we ate something delicious
1: mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. doesn't
0: mean you can't change what you eat right now you and I just came from breakfast where we had creeps and eggs and chocolate and, croissants oh my <laughs> goodness
1: I know we're so blessed that we can do that there mm-hmm. are so many hungry people who can't do that and I was born in Hungary and I was raised hungry I never had any food so I used to literally steal bread from a grocery store and sugar, and I would just cover it in sugar, and that's what I ate. Hence, my dental bills are very high. Does that make you a more mindful eater? Do you appreciate? I am such a foodie. No, I love food way too much. I should be more mindful, but I'm not. I just uh, I just love, food is such a passion. I mean, it's a basic instinct, probably a f- it's a first basic instinct, and then sex being a second basic instinct. Um, there's a synergy between both of them.
0: Do you think that people who are really
1: into food are often really into other carnal pleasures (laughs) like sex? I do, I do. It's like a a good dancer. A good dancer is a good lover. Yeah, all that.
0: Right, and it's interesting when we talk about dancing, some people think, oh, I'm a good dancer, or I'm not a good dancer, but I was at a workshop the other day, and somebody came to lead us in a quick energizing program called Soca Size. So it's soca music, so those of us from the Caribbean are are loving that. And she said something that really resonated with me, which is, dance is just how your body moves in response to sound. It's not good, it's not bad. If you're moving to the music in a way that feels good for you, not thinking about necessarily the moves, not worrying about what people think, you're going to dance with skill. And I thought that was really cool because some people were feeling uncomfortable and the whole room got really into it. Folks who were really experienced in dance, folks who maybe you know dance more to the troubles and the bass kind of thing. So I I like that idea for dance.
1: Yeah, the thing is so many people are so inhibited. Mm -hmm. And part of my healing was to overcome all of my inhibitions. I had so many. And the biggest fear was actually public speaking because I had a voice like a little mouse when I was a child. Um, One reason is I wasn't allowed to speak. Um, Just another one of my uh, traumatic experiences. And so I think you have to face your fears, otherwise they do become self-fulfilling prophecies. And that fits from a therapeutic
0: perspective Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. into the cognitive behavioral therapy model if you have a trigger that makes you anxious you tend to avoid it but that only intensifies the associated response or anxiety whereas if you expose yourself to that stimulus or stimuli that result in that anxious response you survive and the anxiety begins to erode away which is why in cognitive behavioral therapy if there's something that makes you nervous whether it's public speaking or getting naked in front of, you know, your partner or yourself or having sex with the lights on, we create an exposure list, a hierarchy, so where you're doing little bits of it at a time, and then you feel some anxiety, but you realize that it's never as bad as you thought it would be, and eventually the anxiety
1: subsides. So it sounds like you were doing that before you even understood these models. Exactly, because I did not have a mentor, so it took me much longer than it takes some people today because there's so many resources out there and, and of course, really good therapists and counselors as well. And you, um, have,
0: you have a resource for folks looking to
1: heal from trauma. I do. Right now I'm giving away my book. It's... Um, on healing solutions for you. And that's a number four and just the letter U. And it's filled with exercises to help people heal from loss uh, loss of a person, which I can relate to since I lost my husband. And so there are exercises that you can do, such as, you know, writing them a letter or talking to them and saying the things that perhaps you didn't get a chance to say. And um, there's also healing from loss of money, home in Malibu where I live. There were some terrible fires and people lost everything and they just didn't know what to do. And so I've shared things from grief counselors too. Um, there's healing from sexual abuse, of course, and even sexual harassment, um, healing from divorce. So I think we all need healing. That's another thing they don't teach us in general when we go to school or college. They don't teach us how to love, how to forgive and how to heal. And that's the most important thing about life is learning those skills.
0: Right, because inevitably we will all suffer loss and some can be more seemingly devastating like losing your, everything you own or losing your partner. But for other folks, it is, it's is—it's the loss of an opportunity or the loss of even a friend. Because over the years, we, we lose friends and we don't talk about how to manage that loss the way we will talk about divorce. How do you... Can you recommend uh, if you've lost a friend either to death or just they've moved on from you, can you recommend an exercise for beginning to heal?
1: Um, well, with my husband, I certainly talk to him I still ask him his advice and he does give it to me (laughs) (laughs) Um, meditation is very powerful too I have some meditation scripts and I narrate them on the you know as part of the uh, course Um, gosh there's just so many different exercises that you can do but it all comes back to self-love and compassion and empathy and listening to what your body tells you so If you have a broken heart, I recommend that you have a dialogue with your broken heart. Hmm. And you give it an entity. It can be a child. You can call her whatever you want. You can call her Little Jess. (laughs) And you, and Big Jess talks to Little Jess. And you ask her what she's feeling. And she'll tell you, your body never lies to you. And a lot of my... Clients and even friends have had epiphanies. I know I have had epiphanies. And art therapy is so powerful. I love art therapy and it's so easy. For example, take three pieces of paper and on number one, you draw how you feel right now. On number two, you draw how you want to feel. And on number three, you draw what is stopping you? What is the obstacle that's stopping you from getting to what you really wanna feel in life? Incredible epiphanies.
0: I love that, and you don't have to be an artist. You don't have no. to have strong, fine motor skills. I draw at the level of an eight-year-old.
1: <laughs> Even better, yeah.
0: I give my clients
1: crayons.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's what I need, it's, it's funny. So I was in Jamaica uh, maybe a week or two ago, and I met an art therapist on the beach. And what she said is that art therapy can be a lot more honest than narrative therapy or talk therapy or other forms of therapy because you can't if you're not expert at art, which most of us are not, you can't filter what you draw. We filter our words because we use them every single day, almost every hour of the day. But she said, there are breakthroughs she'll see in art therapy that she'll never see in session when it's talk therapy because it forces something out of you. Like you don't know how to fake it. It's true. So that's a really interesting exercise. I appreciate that. That's one thing I love about your work. And we share a lot in common. We do. (laughs) In terms of really trying to be specific with our strategies. And we're not suggesting that they're perfect prescriptions and that if you do what we say, you will solve all your problems. But if you pick a few of these strategies, you've already offered several, you're probably going to see that one opens your eyes to something new within yourself or helps you to come to a new place. You had mentioned, for example, drawing your body and coloring the parts that you don't like red and then talking about why you don't like them and thinking about the functionality and what you appreciate. And that's such a specific way. It's a lot more specific than just love your body or appreciate your tummy, but what does it really do for you? And that reframing because you said you started hating yourself and you learned to love yourself. If that's part of how we can learn to love our body, how can we lear- learn to love ourselves? Is there, is there an exercise or an approach for that?
1: Um, definitely positive affirmations, which everybody's heard of, of course, but using them during meditation and literally just saying, I love myself, I am perfect, I am healthy, I am appreciated, I am smart, I am sexy, I am successful. The more you say these positive mantras, actually, they're more, they're more than affirmations, they're mantras. You know, I, you can think it, you can say it, you can conceive it, believe it, and only then will you achieve it. You really have to feel just like you have to feel sexy, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To be sexy. It's, it's all in the head. It's, I mean, the brain is the most erotic organ in the body, but it's also the smartest. And what we put in our head, we're completely um, responsible for. Even if somebody says something bad to you, you don't have to put that in your head. You have control or you have
0: exercise or influence over your thoughts more than other people do. And you've written about this. You've written about neuroplasticity. You've written about neurolovology. What does that mean? What does neurolovology refer to?
1: Well, it means the science of love blended with neuroscience and like you, when I do a book, I turn it into a world tour (laughs) and a program, and I wrote that book because I found that some people, for example, who speak from the left hemisphere of the brain to somebody with the right hemisphere of the brain are talking two different languages. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to help people to communicate and express love so that their partner would understand, and of course there's some partners who are both left-brained or right-brained, but that was a big part of it. And then also I wanted to share all the chemicals that we have in our brain that turn us on, that turn us off. And that book has over 200 neuro sizes, which are exercises to help grow your brain cells and grow your love life at the same time. And sex is one of them. You know, if you uh, want to refashion your brain cells and be more sexy then pick up a copy of the idiot's guide to karma sutra one of my books and start doing all of those sexual positions with your partner what a great way to grow brain cells right and you well,
0: that, that <laughs> sounds good to me great way to finish the night start the day and you don't have to enjoy them all i think sometimes we think that every sexual experience has to be the bomb. It has to be mind-blowing. But sometimes you do things just for the sake
1: of trying them. Yes, and also for the sake of keeping your relationship fresh. And I loved your lecture yesterday, and you talked a lot about non-monogamous relationships. And I teach couples how to be monogamous but how to add the variety and some of my exercises include writing an intimacy menu for Ooh, each other okay so at least three appetizers to choose from right which are all foreplay from kissing and you know erotic talk and massage whatever you want and then the main course can be intercourse in one of the kama sutra positions like the queen bee, which is one of my favorites. It's where the woman sits on top and she circles using her hips and Mm. gyrates. Mm. And then the side slide is one that I made up. It's a position where the woman sits on the man facing the side. Mm. And so she slides back and forth on him. And that can be a really interesting form of stimulation. And of course, she can also play with herself at the same time and maybe they can reach multiple orgasms simultaneously. Um, So that could be a main course, right? (laughs) Or it could be oral pleasure or anal pleasure or uh, using sex toys and there's fabulous sex toys out there. And then for dessert, the intimacy dessert, it can be cuddling. How about a nap? I'm hoping a, I'm, I'm hoping a
0: nap is on this menu somewhere.
1: I want sorbet. I want sorbet.
0: <laughs> I do love a sandwich after sex. I do mean, you? Well, I love a sandwich after anything. I like a sandwich after dinner, a well, sandwich after breakfast. Well, you burn a lot of calories, Jess. <laughs> well, not me. I don't have to do much of the work. But
1: no. <laughs> But all of these exercises that you and I give people are so powerful. It improves the quality of their lives. So, you know, we're on this planet for a very important reason. We do leave a legacy.
0: And for such a short time that you you have to, I feel, enjoy life. Like, I don't know if I have 75 more years or five more years, so I want to make sure I make it count and, and not hold myself back because of expectations, cultural expectations, expectations from upbringing, and really release any shame that we're either raised with or we carry for other reasons. Is that something that was a challenge for you given the upbringing? How did you even begin to release the shame?
1: Well, it took a very long time. It took over a decade. And it was about forgiveness. I needed to forgive myself for all the negative self-talk that's in my head. Hmm. I had to stop punishing myself And I had to stop caring about what other people thought of me. Dear God, how do you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not easy because I was always judged. When I was a nude model, I was judged. When I became an actress, I was judged. When I became a sexologist, I was judged. When I became a public speaker. And I was such a people pleaser that I was miserable. And then... It was actually when I was experiencing terrible pain, chronic pain, I suffer from something called trigeminal neuralgia, and I had two brain surgeries for it, neither one successful. That I said, okay, I have to look at this as a gift, a gift so I can help others. And I did the same thing with my guilt and my shame. They were gifts, they just weren't wrapped in pretty bows, and as soon as I looked at All of my issues as gifts, my life changed. I started helping people, and the pain wasn't as bad. I still have pain, but I can manage it. And the same with the guilt and the shame. That's gone completely because I've helped so many other people overcome their guilt and shame that it's completely healed.
0: And it sounds like gratitude is at the base of this as well. So how how do you even take the first step to see something that's so damaging and burdensome as a gift? Where can I begin today if I haven't even started this process?
1: You can literally wake up and say, okay, from this day forth, I'm going to have a positive attitude no matter what the universe throws at me. I'm going to look for the good and I'm going to help somebody that needs my help who has the same issue as I do. When That's I was great. at the Dalai Lama's home in India, um, he said the path to enlightenment is education and sharing your knowledge with others. So you and I are on the path to enlightenment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: sharing my knowledge whether you like it or not. <laughs> I got a loud voice and it travels. It, it's interesting. So underpinning these specific approaches. I keep hearing gratitude, I hear kindness and empathy. So the sharing of your knowledge, supporting someone who is facing a similar challenge to you is really interesting because I wonder if we can see the pain in others in a different way than we see it in ourselves. So if we're trying to reframe a pain point as something positive, just cognitively speaking, it can can be difficult to do that on your own. But when I see it in someone else, I have that arm's length distance, and I might be able to help them. And in perhaps helping them, I'm helping myself. And this may be in a professional capacity, but it can also just be in a personal capacity. You don't have to be necessarily giving advice. You could just be offering love and support, and you could be sharing insights, which is what I hope most people are doing. Because in our field, we do see people who maybe don't study, but share advice. And I wish we could have more people sharing insights rather than
1: expertise. Right, exactly. And that's what I've done when I created Loveology University. That is me sharing all of my knowledge about love, relationships, intimacy, and sex. And I think every adult around the world should have access to positive, accurate information on this enormous topic. So you're absolutely right about sharing and sometimes just listening just listening to somebody who has a problem because I do believe we teach what we need to learn the most. Interesting. So I need to learn (laughs) (laughs) blowjobs? I'm just kidding. You're so cute. Well, I did do it. I did an instructional video with a hundred Blow job techniques okay yes so you see maybe there's one you don't know oh there are plenty i don't know trust but me. but i liked what you did with the microphone yesterday oh you like that that huh? was great you like that yes i think so the whole group liked it they got all silent i know <laughs> to be
0: clear this so this I, was a clinical training it had nothing to do but somehow i was talking about how therapists can help their clients fulfill their fantasies. So if, you know, clients come to you and one of them wants a specific thing like a threesome and the partner says no way, no how, how can you still extract thematic elements from that threesome so that Both partners feel fulfilled, but you're not putting the relationship at risk or pressuring anyone. So I was talking about, okay, I want a threesome. Brandon doesn't. What can we do? Well, we can watch a threesome in a movie. We can watch it in porn. We could write the story of a threesome. We could be alone talking about how we're going to do it another day. We can weave the fantasy. We can get into it. And I was saying that a specific move you could do is the two-tongue move, where you take your finger and you slather it in lubricant and you slide it all around your body or your partner's body. So in this case, I'm going to use a penis because I had a microphone in my hand. And you're licking up and down that microphone with your fake tongue. So it's just a a wet finger. And then you add your tongue. So it feels like two tongues. And you talk your way through you say, Oh, yeah, you know, don't you want to feel two tongues on you? I'm always talking to so and so about, you know, doing this together. And yes, of course, I want to share you and you Deserve this, and I want want to give it to you. And if you're really good, I'm gonna bring someone else in, and you weave that fantasy and you play with it. And then at the end, I might say, "Babe, don't even think about it." And so, (laughs) so you can play with that threesome fantasy, Mm -hmm. and it can be absurdly hot, and not have the threesome. Other options, you might go to a sex club and be in the vicinity of a threesome, but never physically participate, you might be standing over at the bar. Some sex clubs have one-way mirrors so you can watch. You might engage a cam model, so these cam models online and have this virtual threesome. You might invite someone in eventually to sit and only watch you and never touch. You might go to a massage parlor and have a non-genital massage together but erotic and then you guys get all riled up riled up and then the they leave the room and you finish off together. Now, let me be clear, you don't have to do all those things. It's not a crescendo that eventually gets closer and closer to a threesome. What I'm suggesting is that you can pull out little pieces of your fantasies, the underlying emotion. Do you want to feel overwhelmed? Do you want to feel like all the attention is on you? Do you want to feel powerful? Do you want to feel submissive? When you find those thematic emotional experiences, you can break a fantasy down in a way to find a middle ground if you're committed to fulfilling one another's, not fulfilling, but considering one another's
1: needs. Absolutely, and I loved what you said yesterday about planning a fantasy is going to have a better result, a better outcome, than if you just do it really spontaneously.
0: And sometimes living out a fantasy, in fact, is not that enjoyable. We were looking at some of the the threesome data and what we found is that, you know, it doesn't always have a huge effect on the relationship. Sometimes people will say, okay, it was fine or I felt neutral about it or it was a little bit of a letdown and we make things bigger than they are. So this one study, a 2018 study by Morris, Chang and Knox, they talked to 200 people and about. 30-ish of them had, they had 196 participants, and 15% had had a threesome. And in terms of the effect on the relationship, about half, 48%, said it had no effect on their relationship. 17% said they felt closer after. And 14% said that They, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to remember, 14% said that it caused tension in the relationship and 7% said that they broke up. But 50% almost are saying it doesn't have an effect. It's just something we did. Now, I'm not suggesting that you approach an interaction if you're a monogamous couple with this kind of levity, like, oh, it'll have no effect. No. I mean, we went through in the clinical training yesterday probably 50 questions that singles and couples need to ask themselves in session either with a therapist or on their own before they even consider a fantasy like this. The the bottom line when it comes to sex is we're not, we're thinking about it, but we're not thinking about it from the lens of, you know, emotion, uh, even critical thought, we're just thinking in fantasy. We're not thinking, how does this affect me? How do I feel about this emotionally? What insecurities do I bring to the table? What distress do I bring to the table? How does that show up in my body? We need to consider sex more seriously instead of just thinking about it from a you know stroking ourselves off perspective.
1: But people who are not therapists don't think like that. They just have a threesome on their bucket list mm-hmm. and they want to live out the fantasy before they
0: die. So <laughs> <laughs> You know, you and I, we have so much in common. It's really interesting. And if you know my work, you know that I, I travel all over the place from from Europe to Asia and the States and, and the Caribbean to do these sessions for executives and for entrepreneurs. And Ava actually is my predecessor. Uh, and and, um, contemporary, but you were the first to do this with these two big groups that I work with. You paved the way, and you're really one of the only people in the world that works with these particular populations. And I don't know if you found this, but one thing I'll do in the group oftentimes is ask them by secret ballot to share something they really want to do. And in every single group, in every single market, (laughs) you know, from Chandigarh to Uh Hong Kong to Albuquerque. Threesome always shows up on the
1: list. Did you find that? Absolutely, I did. Yes. And so do anal fantasies, Mm -hmm. by the way, Mm -hmm. and sex in public. Mm. Another one. So, yeah, you know, sex is universal. I mean, first of all, we all want to be loved Mm -hmm. and we all want to be a good lover. Mm but I think everybody wants better sex, no matter how good the sex is, Mm -hmm. and you and I have this gift of helping people to create more adventurous sex than they can even imagine, and that's why you know, we're both so passionate about what we do, and we do have a lot in common. I mean, I see you, and it's like, oh my goodness, that's how I was when I was her age. It's beautiful, (laughs) and I I am an ardent admirer of your work. I really am. And I think you're not even at the tip of your success.
0: Oh, I'm about to come down. No way.
1: No way. I mean, I think you're going to be bigger than Dr. Ruth, and she's pretty small.
0: (laughs) She's itty-bitty. I got higher heels, (laughs) I can tell you that. (laughs) Now, I'm interested a little bit in how neuro exercises can be involved in love. So I'd love to give you a couple scenarios and maybe you could offer some suggestions. So for folks who are having trouble dating and they, you know, say they're always attracting the wrong type and, you know, I'll say you're the common denominator there, Uh, or they're finding that dating is challenging either because of the kind of voluminous nature of messages and connections or because people are measuring one another up and swiping to the next person. Mm -hmm. How can you think differently? Ah. to change the outcome so that you're more successful in dating, however you define that. I know that everybody's goals in dating are different.
1: Right. So we, we get into our patterns because they're familiar, whether they're healthy or not. And so our brain cells are used to that, and it's an automatic reflex to choose the same kind of person, whether it's based on looks or intelligence or money or sex, so if you want to change the pattern you need to rewrite your story and when i do meditation i say i want you to visualize that you are the actor the producer the director and the star of your own movie now first of all what is your movie called and secondly who is in the movie with you what is the location and who is the partner if it's a love story just start describing who that love interest is. What do they look like? What do they do? What do they sound like? How do they touch you? So creative visualization is a wonderful way to reprogram your brain cells. Yeah, and how do you feel in that visualization? Yes, how do you feel? And that's where vision boards are also very useful. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, so every year I make a vision board and I put it right in front of the toilet <laughs> so that I can see it every single day. And, uh, and I put sometimes 10 things. And if five come to fruition, I'm happy. How do you make a vision board? So you put pictures. You find pictures on the internet or even in magazines. Or you can draw pictures of how you want to see your love life, your home life, your professional life your spiritual life, um, your family life. You you decide what categories you want, but what you want to accomplish, what your goals are visually, and you put them on a big piece of cardboard, and you put it somewhere where you can see it every day. So the bathroom's a really good place. So is the kitchen right on the fridge. And for example, if you want to get married next year, you really want to get married, Start visualizing the person that you're going to marry, the place you're going to live. You know, put the picture of the house where you want to live. And, and really just look at it every day and you will change the scaffolding of your brain. Right, it's amazing. the way you're thinking. Yes.
0: Uh, the negativity is an interesting one. And let, let's let be honest, there are a lot of things in the world happening where I I understand why people are feeling negative, why people are feeling traumatized. And so I'm not talking about the big stuff like the oppression that surrounds us, but if we just kind of look at dating, it seems that people have quite negative attitudes to dating culture. And I wonder if we shift the way we think about the outcome does it affect the outcome? And I'm not suggesting that you know you can manifest anything. Obviously, you know there are circumstances and-
1: You can manifest people, hmm. but you have to be careful. I've manifested people. Since my husband died, I started dating and the first person I manifested, I was walking on the beach in Malibu. And I said, I really wanna date a man who lives in Malibu near me. And I want him to be spiritual, maybe a Buddhist. And I want him to have a really good career and I even want him to be a little bit younger than me. Within a week, I met that man, hmm. but I forgot <laughs> to manifest mental health, okay. to manifest no addictions. I forgot the important stuff, and guess what else I forgot? Sex. <laughs> <laughs> that happens to me all the so time. We, ha- we are powerful, and actually manifesting in nature is really the best place to do it. I don't know if you saw in the news, but there is um, it came out today that in the UK doctors can now prescribe nature. Yes. As a
0: prescription, I love it. I love that and Isn't we don't fantastic. S- you know in most places in North America, people are driving so they don't spend much time outside. you know I'm really lucky in the city of Toronto, even though we've got cold weather, you walk. A lot of places, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. I I can, if I'm in town for a week, I might get in my car one time. Sometimes no times. Like the really the only time I get in the car is to go to the airport. So I'm lucky to spend so much time outside. And I, I read an article the other day saying, take something that you do indoors outdoors. So one of the things that I discovered a few years ago is that I don't have to take meetings at a coffee shop or at an office. I'll take meetings and we take walk meetings. I love that. Yeah and I'm trying to remind now okay I'm not going outside when it's really really cold. I'm not a cold weather person but I like the movement and I I just love being in the outdoors.
1: And you can do walk counseling. Yes I love that (laughs) walk and talk therapy. Now
0: you know you mentioned manifestation and I wanted to uh, also suggest kind of the flip side for folks who maybe aren't as visual or folks who struggle with visualization maybe more like me (laughs) okay Uh, even a list of what you're looking for and i don't mean you know, the specifics of like, I want my partner to be over five, five or over 6 feet. I mean, what are your core values? What are you looking for? Because sometimes people will complain that they can't find what they're looking for, but then they can't describe to me what they're looking for. And I, they'll just tell me, I don't want someone who's oh, like yes. this. I don't. Okay, forget your don't wants for mm-hmm, a moment. Mm-hmm. And tell me what you want. Because oftentimes we don't know what we value in a partner. And so how are you possibly, A, going to find it, but B... How are you going to communicate your needs to your partner if you're not clear with yourself on what they
1: are? And I love writing things down. Mm-hmm. I like lists. That's I do too. <laughs> yeah. And if you tell someone to write a list of what they're looking for, they'll come up with 20 different things. And then you have to say to them, okay, now cut that list in half. What do you really want? And then they have 10 things. And then you say, okay, now cut that list in half because you're not going to get everything on your list.
0: Yeah, and and I it's interesting because we were talking yesterday about Uh, compromise versus alternatives. And we were talking about this in the context of consensually non-monogamous relationships versus monogamous relationships. In monogamous relationships, we're always talking about compromise. And with compromise comes this notion of sacrifice, which is not particularly positive. If we look at the the consensually non-monogamous, I'm just going to say CNM, folks, the CNM lens, we understand that we don't necessarily have to compromise on everything. We can look for alternative sources of fulfillment. And I'm not talking about sex. I'm saying if I want tons of affection and Brandon says, you know what, Jess, you're smothering me, we, we could say, oh, we have a compatibility issue. Or I could say, all right, well, where else can I get affection? Can I hug my friends? Can I snuggle with my dog? Do I have kids I can play with? I know I have no dog.
1: (laughs) We both had that in common. I had a Pomeranian called Romeo. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, and you had a Pomeranian. Lita. I know. See, we have so much in common. I love
0: a Pomeranian. I woke up this morning to sexologist Megan sending me Um. uh, videos of her playing with Pomeranians. Oh, Oh. And she has a pit bull. Yes, that's right. She has a gorgeous, gorgeous dog. <laughs> but, Shout out to sexologist Megan.
1: But back to the dating scene. A lot of people are wasting time meeting people they're not even compatible with. I recommend that you do FaceTime. Oh. Yeah. Because the only thing you're not really going to be able to measure is chemistry. Although you can see a lot. You can hear the voice. You can see the background of where they are. You can... You see the, way the body they language. At you. Absolutely, yeah. You, you can hear what they say. I'm telling you, if everybody did FaceTime or Skype. They would not waste so much time going on dates for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day.
0: Spoken like a true Los Angeles resident (laughs) who is like, it can take me two hours to get to Santa Monica when it should take 15 minutes. So we're not going to get out there and drive, have the gas and the road rage and the parking. And I I feel you because, you know, when I'm back home in Toronto, I I don't want to travel great distances either. Now, before we go, because we do have to wrap up, I'd love to just get one more neuro exercise for folks who are in a relationship and they're feeling uh, a lot of resentment or they're feeling stuck with their partner. They're just really, really pissy at their partner. And that happens to all of us at times. It can be a temporary thing or it can be a... Something that lasts a little bit longer, you know, weeks or months. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If I'm feeling really frustrated, what can I do to think differently and really appreciate my partner? And maybe I use the word,
1: the answer in the question, but. Well, first of all, you need to express your feelings in your partner's modality, which not only is his or her left or right brain prominent hemisphere. So the right brain is more creative, more artistic, um, so they take longer to get to the goal. <laughs> and the left brain just wants the facts. Okay. So a left brain person might be a lawyer, an accountant, uh, somebody who likes numbers. Who okay. just says, I want to have sex right now with you. Okay. Or. Like me. I, or I don't like you today. Right. I, I don't like your behavior. Okay. You know, I'm leaving. But the right brain person is like, oh, well, I'm feeling really romantic. I would like to maybe have a bubble bath (laughs) and essential massage and (laughs) a romantic dinner. So we speak different languages. But the other modalities are also important, and that's whether you are a visual person, a kinesthetic person, or an auditory person. So you have to know how to communicate your wants, needs, fears, to your partner so if your partner is visual then you know that they're going to listen to you if you have your conversation wearing lingerie, <laughs> right? Or naked. Mm-hmm. Honey, I have something to say to you and don't just look at my boobs, look at my eyes. This is really important, sweetie. Right.
0: Or, or where the location, those the type loca- of things yeah, matter. Yeah. Okay.
1: And a kinesthetic person, you know, you hug them and you hold them and you look into their soul through their eyes and you say, there's something I need to share with you. I mean, it's all how you do it is even more important than what you say. Right. I wonder if a visual person too would
0: be open to a note because they can read what you're saying as opposed to hear what you're saying. Well,
1: I think a note works for everybody, right. especially even the person writing the note. Mm-hmm. But the most important thing with the note is to start with praise, mm-hmm. and I know you agree with that because mm-hmm. you said yesterday. So start with something complimentary. I love our life together. Mm-hmm and then go into what your needs are you don't say but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but i love our life
0: but when you leave your towel <laughs> on the ground i hate everything
1: <laughs> i love our life together and then you know the i i feel we could have more fun more intimacy better sex if you and i spent more quality time mm-hmm. on weekends mm-hmm. where we just stay in bed longer where we Cuddle, where we watch movies, where we have intercourse. Mm -hmm. So you have to be specific. We talk
0: about that a lot that expressing your needs with specificity really increases the odds of getting what you want. Right.
1: And people don't know how to do that. So multiple choices are good. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, honey, would you like to have oral sex tonight? Mm -hmm. Would you like to have intercourse? Would you like to watch porn? Mm -hmm. They'll tell you, oh, Porn. Right.
0: <laughs> My, <laughs> then intercourse. <laughs> Mine is, Brandon, do you want to watch Amazon Prime video or Netflix tonight? <laughs> ah,
1: but multiple choices are fantastic. Right. Yeah, going right. To, whether it's going to a restaurant, making love... Even conflict resolution. Oh, you just brought something up that's so important to me because couples
0: always joke that they spend half of their relationship trying to s- decide what to eat for dinner. And when, you're, when your partner says, what do you want to eat tonight? I actually think it would be really helpful to say, hey, babe, do you want Chinese? Do you want pizza? Do you want sushi? Exactly. Especially for folks who have trouble making decisions. Right. Like Brent, my partner, Brendan... Uh, who I really wish was here, he can't really say, oh, I want this to eat. He also doesn't really care that much, and he knows that I'm obsessed with what I eat. That I don't want to waste a mm-hmm. meal. But giving choices would make me feel like he's actually contributing. So I, I really appreciate that.
1: And if he still can't come up with it, write it on three different pieces of paper and then throw them all up in the air and tell him to pick one. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, li-
0: I like that. <laughs> and so I think before you even get to that, if we're talking about letting go of anger and resentment, Shifting the way you think uh, to focus on gratitude. Like I really appreciate my partner because, right? And I, I've mentioned this before that I'll wake up in the morning sometimes and put my head on Brandon's chest and just hear his heartbeat and be thankful that, that this muscle is moving. Because mm-hmm. if that muscle stops moving, he's not here. And remembering that, you know, he I, there's no guarantee that he's always going to be here. And so I want to appreciate every day with him even if we've been fighting, even if he's frustrating me. And so it sounds like gratitude underpins all the work you do. It's part of meditation, part of, you know, how you approach people with empathy to help others, to help yourself. So I I really appreciate all of these perspectives. And I I think it's so amazing that you're also giving away your book on healing at healingsolutionsforyou.com. And we're going to link to that. And your Love University, if people want to take courses, is Love Univ, like univ.com. So thank you, Jess.
1: Yeah, this thank was you. So fun. Thank you so
0: much for being here. Thank you for the work you've done in this field. Thank you to you for listening. And a big shout out to Desire Resorts for their ongoing support of this podcast. Desire has multiple clothing optional locations on the Mayan Riviera. I'm going to be heading to their cruise along the south of France in May. We're going to Cannes for the Cannes Film Festival. We're going to Monte Carlo Monaco for the I'm going to get it wrong I don't know if it's F1 or Grand Prix but there's a bunch of fast race cars (laughs) and we're going to be able to you know get naked and have some fun on the boat so check them out at Desire Experience I know they have some uh, cool specials on that cruise right now as well wherever you're at have a wonderful week we'll be back next Friday and every Friday with a brand new episode